I'm Q, this is Bird Road. Welcome to the uh, new America, and it looks a whole lot like the old America. Here in here in Miami, we're under a threat for a tropical storm at this hour in mid-November. Yes, in mid-November, we're here worried about a tropical storm. Um, really quick, our, our presidential race results, where they stand at this hour, it's Saturday morning, late in the morning. In Georgia, Joe Biden is ahead with 98% of the vote in, we're not going to mention all the... Um, percentages because they're all between like 0.2 and like one and a half percent and they're changing every few minutes so don't bother um in arizona biden is also ahead with 97 percent in nevada biden is ahead with 93 percent in pennsylvania biden is ahead with 96 percent of the vote uh reported in north carolina trump is ahead with 98 percent of the vote reported and out in alaska trump is way out in front but they're expecting a lot more um, votes by sled dog or something. I don't know what's taking them so long. They've only reported about half of their votes out there. In uh, lawsuit land, Donald Trump has, and this is changing all the time, folks. By the time I post this, it might be completely changed because these lawsuits are getting tossed out and then refiled and tossed out, and they're mostly just jokes. But um, right now, there are lawsuits pending in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, and Nevada. Like I say, a lot of them are getting kicked out. They're getting refiled, amended, ridiculed by the judges that are that are um, that are fielding them. So uh, it's kind of hard to keep track. This morning, uh, Joe Biden said that he would. Uh, sorry, Donald Trump said sent out a tweet saying that he would hold a meeting with his lawyers at the Four Seasons uh, press conference, a press conference with his lawyers at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia. And then he had to clarify. He deleted the tweet, clarified that it was Four Seasons Landscaping Incorporated. So I don't have any idea what the hell's going on. Um, so that's what's happening, but we're a Florida show, so let's talk Florida. We've got our returning guest, uh, Thomas Kennedy, the Florida coordinator for the United We Dream and a local activist who is also the getting 86th king of South Florida, the ruler of getting tossed out of places for yelling at asshole governors and mayors. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the results that we know for sure that happened you know, here in Florida, here in Miami, the Democrats' sort of continued collapse across the state, how much blame the state party bears for that, all the wrong-headed media narratives that are coming out of Miami-Dade, and uh, if there's actually an opportunity in this, um, you know, coming four years of, of Joe Biden to make any progressive headway. Thomas, welcome to Bird Road. Thank you for having me. I mean, I appreciate that introduction. <laughs> yeah, man. So first, I want to know how you're going to explain it to your kids one day when they want to go to the planetarium. And uh, and and you have to tell them that Papa's been banned from the Frost Museum, <laughs> and that your picture's hanging up in the back somewhere. <laughs> you know, it'd be like, uh, you know, when when fascism was was at the gates, your daddy stood up and yelled at some assholes, and now you know <laughs> you're gonna have to go to the planetarium with mom. Sorry. So we're jo we're joking, but if you haven't if you haven't already seen them, um, th uh, Thomas had a lot of um now viral confrontations over the summer with uh, and one of them famously happened at uh, the Frost Museum here in Miami with Ron DeSantis and other GOP state officials and mayors. Uh, they weren't just widely seen, but they were also sort of like the things that you were yelling at the top of your lungs because you didn't have a microphone were the most honest things being said during these like sham get back to work press conferences that they were that they were, you know, holding. They also sort of co coincided with a real drop in approval with DeSantis um, going from, he went from like one of the most well-liked GOP swing state governors where a lot of, he was pretty popular with Democrats. People seemed to like him prior, prior to the pandemic, which I never understood. And uh, now he's, he's way underwater. I think where he deserves to be um, talk about that a little bit. I know we can't attribute all of that to your, um, <laughs> to, to, to your, your actions, but uh, I mean, he, I think people are finally kind of seeing him a little bit for what he is, but I don't know. What, what's your impression? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I don't think, I don't think that me yelling at him was like the, 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 the you know, what, what did it, but particularly the first time I did it at Jackson, uh, it really went like massively viral much more than I, you know, cause I've done this before to a lot of people, Marco Rubio, Betsy, the wall. Marco Rubio. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think it hit a nerve uh, because of the moment, right? Like Florida was and still honestly is spiraling out of control. The unemployment benefit system was just completely crashing. People were losing their jobs. It felt 
mildly apocalyptic. Uh, and the governor yeah. had no answers, uh, was being an arrogant asshole about everything. And the media really wasn't asking the questions that they needed to be asked, to be, to, to be frank. And, uh, and I think people were able to sort of channel their frustrations through what I did, which is, you know, fucking dress them down. It went viral in Argentina, like where I'm from. Like, yeah. I had media calling me from, it was, it was insane. So I think it was that. I think it was just people were just extremely frustrated and were just happy that somebody was able to get in there and dress his ass down. And then also it precipitated other people doing the same thing. And more importantly, after that, I think the media, again, I don't want to like to toot my own horn or, or get credit for anything, but I do think the media after that were like, oh, this guy is actually not, like this guy is not Teflon, right? Like you can actually yeah. just fucking talk to him and hold him accountable, even if he's the governor. So they started asking tougher questions and getting a little tougher and more uh, compromising stories happening. And of course, COVID didn't get any better and he kept being an asshole. So I think there were, it was just all a confluence of factors that led to him, you know, losing um, a lot of trust uh, of the of Floridians. Up to that up to that point, he had he had the press kind of eating out of his hand. He had that his most sort of widely seen moment to that point had been him holding court. I don't remember where it was. I think it was somewhere in Orlando and basically declaring victory, I think in April saying like, where is all the, where are all the COVID cases? It looks like we beat it. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. He declared victory over COVID in April. And to that point, that was the narrative that people were running with. Like, wow, I guess whatever he's doing is working. Yeah, but then again, I will also say, because I'm fair and objective, that even though his polling numbers are down and, um, and you know, he's obviously a failure and he's lost a lot of popularity, you know, he is Trump's uh, chief surrogate in this state as the governor, as a Republican yeah. governor. And Trump yeah. did win this state convincingly. You know, I mean, there were some yeah. down-ballot victories in Miami-Dade, in other places, you know, Monique Worrell for state attorney in Orange County, Danielle Levinkava, Luisa Santos for school board. But the reality is that it was a fucking bloodbath for Florida Democrats, yeah. you know? And so so let, let's, let's talk about that because I, I want to shift first to our home county here, Dade, um, and uh, try to get into all of these, I think, like this patchwork of of bad media takes that don't quite capture exactly what's going on here. Last Sunday, right before the you know, two days before the election, I um right here on Bird Road, uh, in, in front of Tropical Park, I got caught in no fewer than ten thousand vehicles, but you know, SUVs and full sized F one fifties and trucks with with um it was honestly it was the biggest non-Bernie rally that I've ever seen Yo, in my entire life. talking about the March Against Socialism thing? I got caught in the same exact shit. It was insane. Yeah, it was Sunday afternoon yes. in front of Tropical Park. It was insane. It was the biggest thing I've ever... Like I say, it was the biggest... It was the biggest non-Bernie, non-Wu-Tang Clan affiliated thing that I've ever seen. And I couldn't believe it. And it kind of hit home. I had... kind. You know, we live here, right? If, if you live here, you feel the tenor of a place. Yep. And you can tell the way that it's moving in the conversations, especially if you talk with a lot of people during the course of a week, you know, you kind of, you don't overtly talk about politics all the time, but you obliquely dance around the topic and you can tell when people are, are moving. Did you feel a change over the last two or the last four years in Miami? Because what we're talking about here is the, is the big shift that the media hasn't been able to let go of, of, of um, Joe Biden still winning Miami Dade, but winning it by far, far more meager uh, statistics, but far more meager gap than Democrats who ran statewide ha had had won it in recent years. So have you felt it? Like, I don't know. That's a complicated question with a complicated answer that I'm going to attempt to give right now. So I were, <laughs> I worked for the Bernie campaign. Uh, and I'll just start by saying that I never had a lot of illusions that Bernie would win the state, but I thought he had a really good path to victory on the Rust Belt and Sun Belt states, uh, which is exactly what Biden ended up pulling off anyways. Uh, so, yeah, um, I'll say, you know, in, in 2018, I think we did 
pretty okay down ballot. Like we flipped some house seats. We flipped some, a lot of like down uh, municipal seats. We flipped one state Senate seat. Uh, and obviously one statewide Democrat, uh, Nikki Fried was a corporate Democrat, but whatever. And yeah. Gillum got real- Former, Formerly a Republican. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gillum got real close though. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Barack Obama, who, you know, like, People forget, but he ran like a pretty, you know, he ran on like the promise of lowering taxes in 2012. But in 2012, he ran like a pretty populist campaign about, you know, right. attacking Mitt Romney for being a corporate robot, for laying off people, what he did, you know, with Bain Capital, you know, liquidating companies. It was, it was, it was a pretty anti-corporate populist campaign, right? So, you know, I think this time around, I started feeling it when I came back from the burn. I was seven months in DC and I came back after we, we lost the primary in a, around uh, April. And I, it, I was like, it felt differently, right? Like th- even through the pandemic, I was like the Democrats and you can ask people and you can ask people at the Miami Dade Dems. I was always not up to, I was, I was always like on the fence whether Trump was going to lose or not. But I was always like not optimistic about Florida, and I just never saw them capitalizing on like what was happening with the unemployment crisis, with, for example, Cubans in immigration detention that are coming in, and Venezuelans, for example, letting people know like, hey, you're actually coming to this country, and they're putting you in immigration detention for profit. About the the, the uh, eviction moratorium, you know what I mean? That's going to expire, and people are going to be left holding a huge bill. Uh, about just like the, the the ramifications of this pandemic and how poorly it has been handled and how little aid and, and help people have gotten at the state and federal level. And again, yeah. I think this socialism thing, yes, it's about exploiting the trauma of like exile communities. And I say that in quotations in a lot of ways, <laughs> but it's true that that's what they're doing. But it's also the socialism thing is not just about socialism. It's a code word for frankly, racism, for Black Lives Matter, for defunding the police, for the culture war that they have imposed on this country over the last, you know, four years. And it's giving, you know, it it allows a lot of these like, you know, racist Latinos to like sort of latch onto that as like their rallying cry against, you know, what they they deem to be the woke left for better or for worse. Uh, And again, I think the Biden campaign they squeaked out a victory, it seems. But here in Florida, they got destroyed because they didn't have a counter message. They really didn't have yeah. a message at all. And again, I'll go back to the 2012 Obama campaign. I'm not like an Obama fan. You know, I was undocumented through his tenure. I worked in immigration. Not, not a fan. Uh, but the 2012 campaign, in my opinion, was effective because they were able to sort of paint a broad, you know, populist economic br- uh, brush and and really paint the narrative where there was a hero and a villain. And the villain was Mitt right. Romney, the fucking, you know, liquidator of companies, li- getting people laid off, enriching himself. And they were It's an easy to understand binary. It was built out, it was laid out, and it, it, it resonated with people. And I don't know of a single thing about Joe Biden that resonated down here, at least in South Florida, with people. Exactly. Apart from him beat not being Trump. Exactly. And I think it resonated in the Rust Belt states a little more because, you know, people know him a little better there, right? He's from that area yeah. and they had a better message there, you know, and and in the Sun Belt states, you know, it's like the, the I, w- I wouldn't say the Latino community there is a monolith, but it's not as as incredibly complicated as it is here in Florida, where it's just like a yeah. fucking mixture of everywhere and you know and there's so much like baggage it's very complicated there's there's and i i I talked about like the this weird patchwork of bad takes and and sort of binary thinking that that i've i think we've all been seeing over the last few days there's the thinking that all latinos are the same there's that thinking that all cubans in miami are the same and then thinking that it's still 2000 and that like there's you know, 50,000 Cubans in the street rioting over, you know, over the Bush Gore. And it's not like that anymore. It's a different overlapping set of circumstances that I don't think people have really, I mean, people attribute it, like you said, to the socialism fears, but, but uh, Obama won both times by huge margins just two years ago. And they called him a socialist a lot. A lot. And, And honestly, it was more 
plausible because a lot of times socialism, like you say, is usually code word for 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 racism, and um, and it was way more plausible with him. It was way more plausible with a candidate statewide like Andrew Gillum, who still won by twenty plus points only two years ago in this county, and I, I think that if I had to boil it down, and I don't think it can really be boiled down, but like Miami just loves the event. We love the thing, whatever the, th- and Joe Biden wasn't a thing down here and Trump was a thing. I think about the third week of major league baseball season. If you go see the Mar- a Marlins game and there's 12 or 13 people, but fuck around and let early September come and they're in the pennant chase or they're in a wild card chase and you go and the game's sold out. And I, I know that that's a, a silly and stupid analogy to make to politics, but in the circumstance of Miami, there is something to the eventizing of a candidate. Like, hey, this guy is the thing. Because I went to that that rally and the people that I saw didn't share, not only did they not share any anything with, with Donald Trump in terms of like their, their real core ideologies, but they didn't share ideology with each other. They were there as fans of a thing. And I, I, again, that's such a sort of narrow way, or not narrow, but like superficial way to look at politics. But I mean, I, I feel like that's the way of Miami. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I totally agree because Donald Trump himself doesn't have an ideology. It's not like the Trump movement is not an ideological movement, right? I no. mean, I think in 2016, you could say that, you know, there was sort of like this anti-quote-unquote globalist, anti-quote-unquote trade, anti-immigration nationalist movement. But like, I don't think like people actually like most most Trump supporters actually give a shit about any of that. And it hasn't been reflected at all through these four years of the Trump presidency. I mean, you know, he ended TPP, but at the same time, he passed this like insane tax reform that only benefits the wealthy. And, you know, he he hasn't lived up to any of those promises. And, and again, I, I think it's more about him just empowering like people that... Um, just basically want to be assholes. They want to say whatever they want to say. They want to, they, yeah. they, they like that he's rich. They like that, you know, he says whatever he wants. They like that he uh, doesn't apologize. And it's just, it's just a personality thing. Yeah. It's a transgressive nature kind of like, and it reads, honestly, look, you're Argentinian, I'm Puerto Rican. We have very similar backgrounds and like it, it, it resonates that kind of sort of rebellious nature resonates with huge swaths of um of 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 the culture man and i I think that my my biggest problem though with the narratives that are coming out after the fact is that if you were to boil everything in between argentina and puerto rico into the big culture and call it miami and you know big big portion of it is cuban a big portion of it is central american um and 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 look at it we have a problem with the culture here and none of these things that people are talking about and that a lot of the media is pushing is is in anywhere near addressing it. And I feel like it's something that we have to like literally address in our living rooms and like over Thanksgiving and things like that. I don't know. It feels like there's something broken that got to there's something that that got to the brains of a lot of people, like a like 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 a worm. And I don't know how to fix it exactly, but I know when people aren't getting it right. And right now, I think people aren't getting it right. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, also like the the level of misinformation that people are subjected to through like our, our mass media consumption. And also, and, and, and I will say, because there's like a lot of people that blame the public for that. And I actually don't. Like I, I, I blame them for supporting someone like Trump because he is so distasteful, but I don't blame them for being misinformed and falling prey to conspiracy theories because frankly again they are processing massive amounts of information being barreled towards them constantly the the mass media like cnn fox news msnbc is not it's not trustworthy it has never been you know from the iraq war to you know whatever it is like they're just it's corporate media and, you know, when you, when you, we're living in some crazy times, right? And people are trying to make sense of a senseless world. So when you have something like the Jeffrey Epstein story, right? Where, you know, obviously this guy was hanging out with Bill Clinton 
Democratic president and Donald Trump, Republican president, and Prince Andrew and Ehud Barak and all these re- Philip Levine here in Miami and like all these powerful people. And you know, and Chris Tucker, yeah, and he, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> and he gets caught and just gets a sweetheart deal, right? And like it's brushed under the under the, the, the rug for how many years, and then he gets caught again and then gets murdered, like in the circumstances that he did. Yeah, it's sketchy. So of course, when there are no answers to that, people can grab something like that and magnify it to the insanity that is something like QAnon, right? Right. Again, yeah. people look at their surroundings and there's a lot of like loose ends and things that they're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, they're looking for a unifying theory. Yeah. They're looking for something to make it all, all make sense. And, and, uh, yeah. and if responsible actors aren't actually addressing it or, 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 or explaining it or coming up with answers, then irresponsible actors are going to come in and be like, no, it's actually a global cabal of pedophiles that drink, you know, children's blood. So like whatever it is, the QAnon thing, you know what I mean? But like, no, yeah, you pretty much got it. Like <laughs> that's, that's pretty close to uh, generally what it is. We've talked about QAnon on the show before and about sort of the underlying, like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's almost like minimizing to call it un- underlying danger. It's more like, it's like bed bugs. Like you can't get it out. It's, uh, there are people who have, been studying it and who have talked about how QAnon is this uniquely weird theory for people to latch onto because it has a universal adapter on it and you can just throw whatever thing that you have grievance about or anxiety about into it and it spits out a permutation of that of QAnon for you like are you a person that thinks that kids are being kidnapped all over the world we got a a, a flavor of QAnon for you are you a person that you know uh, is opposed to the Clinton crime, ne- the Clinton global co- crime network. We've got a flavor for you, you know, and it, a lot of it, it's incoherent, but it's also the more incoherent it becomes, the harder it is to like dissuade or, you know, I heard somebody talking about it who was a, um, a deprogrammer for cults, a guy who spent his whole career deprogramming people from cults. And he uh, didn't have anything good to say about it. He said, well, I've, I've looked into it and and this is the kind of thing that it's going to be really hard to, to, to shift people away from. But I guess it has to happen over time. I, I want to talk about... By the way, by the yeah. way, I just want to interrupt and say that I just got a, a notification. Uh, the AP just called it. The Trump AP called it while we're live right now. We're not live, we're recording. But yeah, so there you go. Things are bye bye. Things bye bye bye, sweetie. Goodbye, goodbye, honey. You're gone. You're gone. Uh, Things will be marginally less bad in America. (laughs) Uh, That's huge. No, but I I will say though, I, 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 you know, that's another thing though. Trump, Trump, he's not, he's not going away. Like, and just like that, Q and Q and on, like writ large, isn't going to go away. Just because, because of that, he's, he's here. Like embedded in the brains of so many people now i know no no, what what were you gonna say i mean what do you think what do you think he's gonna do uh i think he's gonna run again in 2024 unless something health-wise unless something happens health-wise and i think in between now and then he's going to buy that uh oann network and he's gonna turn it into his own network or not buy it he's gonna leverage capital from other sources other than himself to get an ownership stake in it and put his name on it. Just the same way that- That motherfucker is never- (laughs) (laughs) Never gonna pay for anything. That's the reason that he's, by the way, if he was, if he, he, these lawsuits that we were making fun of at the beginning of the show could have had a little bit of legal plausibility if this guy hadn't spent 40 years of his life not paying lawyers. Talk to anybody who's ever represented him, PR firms, agencies law law firms tax accountants fucking landscapers he doesn't pay people so he's left with the shittiest people well didn't you see that like i mean today i was watching that like he was like there was like a report that was like trump is losing confidence in his legal team and he and (laughs) he he believes pam bondi and rudy giuliani may not up may not be up to the task uh, of defending his presidency and it's like no shit no shit man (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like, 
They didn't. Giuliani, not a good lawyer. Not a good, not, none of these, by the way, the, the thing that people don't, people like Trump don't really grasp is that you don't rise politically because of being a good lawyer. You rise politically because of being good at politics. Like you're, you know, which is not the same thing as being a good litigator. I mean, like the good litigators are at Burger Singerman, right? Amlaw rated huge law firm. And uh, they, they won't work with Trump because Trump has burned them for huge amounts of money in the past and just not paid them. What, what are you, you going to do? Like when there's nobody left to hire, you just look at and, and your brain is rotting away and all you do is look at television all day. You look at TV and you see the pretty blonde lady and you see your friend that, that you knew from, you know, from the steakhouse in Brooklyn for all those years. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, those guys have law degrees. Let's just hire them. They'll defend defend the case that's what happens though i i don't know I, I what do you think there's any chance at all of any of this ending up in front of um you know a, a, a now very partisan supreme court i mean i don't know you know i'm not a lawyer i mean i think some stuff will be but you know i mean let, let's see what what are the margins right now um 284 to i mean pennsylvania was called right so right yeah. now it's 284 to 214 right looking like he's gonna win nevada and georgia uh, what well, i think i think i like... think i'd seen it be 316 to which is I, the it was this it was this actually the same margin he beat clinton 316 to i think like two two forty or something like that i forget off the top of my head yeah it's like pretty it's like a pretty overwhelming victory right so yeah. like i don't know and it's like the thing about the Bush Gore thing that people like, like Bush was up right in the recount. So it's like a lot easier to like contest when you're up right. and it's just one state. Right. Yeah. These are like, you'd have to like beat back several states looking like. Right. You'd have to be juggling a lot of different uh, hypotheses at the same time. Yeah. yeah. From a place of, you know, of where you're already down and also, you know, it's like the, the, the Democrats demobilized their base. Mm. Um, right now, our base is very mobilized. Like we can, you know, we can take to the streets. We can stop, you know, like these uh, like anti-recount protests. We can counter them. You know what I mean? So I don't I just don't think they're in the same formation or position that they were in the year 2000 to just steal, you know, an election in Florida. Where I don't know if you've seen Billy Corbin's documentary, uh, 537 votes, yep. but they had the secretary of state who was the chair of the Bush campaign. They had Jeb Bush as governor. They had fucking Alex Pinellas being a fucking weasel. Yeah, they had here. collusion like, with the mayor, the city mayor at the time. And yeah, yeah. it all hinged. Bush. Yeah. It and was... they don't have it now. Right. They have Rudy Giuliani and Pam Bondi, like <laughs> fucking like scrambling with like the fucking their legal notes, you know? <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the funny, the other funny story that came out was in Pennsylvania where um, I guess uh, Jared Kushner, Kushner had been delegated the responsibility of getting the election back in Pennsylvania and was just cold calling names and Rolodexes saying, hey, do you know how to get the election back? How can we get the election back without it, you know, just without any context or strategy or anything, just uh, and, and with no guile or political knowledge? Because, again, when you surround yourself with like incompetence and you've been elected in like yeah i guess you can just like skate for four years i mean nobody's gonna you'll get impeached but as long as everybody as long as you don't get removed from office you can just keep doing it but there comes a point where the rubber has to meet the road and i guess it, that's the point now where you know your dumbest friends can't save you now oh my god trump just tweeted i, I just i just needed to check this in all capitals, I won this election by a lot. <laughs> no, he did it. What a fucking loser. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's ridiculous too. This goes back. I mean, I think one of my first there are different like layers of the the panic or realization in 2016 and 2017, where you're like, wow, this is gonna be a really fucked up era we're heading into. And one for me was the one where he tried to say that he actually won the popular vote because there were three million illegal votes in California. And I didn't even really know how to process that. I was like, is this what we're doing now? This is this is the shit we're doing now? I guess this is how we're talking about this now. And I think that that was only a preview. <laughs> yeah, no, so, and you're exactly right. He's not going away. He's going to set up his own fucking, like, media. He's going to continue probably doing these rallies. Oh, he loves you know? the rallies. Yeah, he's not going to stop those. And, and he's, and, and you know, he's going to, 
continue claiming, you know, like voter fraud and whatever. But he, his whole brand is about winning, right? Like winning and being strong. I do think that it, it will it will be damaging, right? Uh, I I want to see. I want to touch on one more thing in Miami before we leave Miami, and it it, it kind of speaks to what you're talking about a little bit. You're one of the people that we have on the show who actually has not knocked on doors, knocked on thousands and thousands of doors, and talked to people, and gone around and and pushed turnout in numerous elections. And I was looking at the raw numbers, which I haven't in from Miami Dade that I haven't seen a lot of people talking about, not in terms of percentages, but just the the, the pure number of people that came out. Joe Biden got almost the exact same number of raw votes in Miami as Hillary Clinton did. She got 624, he he got 620. Obama won Miami-Dade 499 to 360, then he won it, uh, these are thousands, okay? 499,000, He won it again, 541,000 to 332,000. Hillary won that big win, 624 to 334. Biden won, but he only won 620 to 532. So like a lot of numbers going out there, but that generally means 200,000 new people showed up and every single one of them voted for Donald Trump. To me, that sounds insane. And I, I, I don't, and apart from the theory of Miami just loving an event and loving a party, I, I don't know how to explain that. I know 200,000 um, exiles from uh, Nicaragua and Venezuela haven't moved here in the last four years. A lot have, like 40,000, but not 200,000. And many of them can't vote yet who have moved here. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the other irony, of course, that a lot of the Cubans who can vote here did so because of a preferential law that are able to because of a preferential law that Donald Trump curtailed during his, you know, during his his his, um, his term. I don't know, man. That's one thing. Those raw numbers are one thing I can't reconcile. 200,000 new voters showing up in Miami-Dade. Sure. Them breaking 50-50, 60-40, 70-30, sure. But 100% of them all voting for Donald Trump is I mean, I thought, tough. But you did explain it. We, we were talking about it earlier. We were talking about, it's what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, right? Like they had a message, they had a narrative, they had, you know, like not charismatic for us because we hate him, but like he speaks to a lot of parts of our culture, right? Like the, the bad parts of our culture, like us, you know, as Latinos, like there's, there's good and bad things. And on our side, we had a, you know, like, you know, I think, I think, I think Joe Biden will be a better president. I have a lot of issues with him, but I think he will be a better president than Trump, but he wasn't an inspiring candidate. He has a lot of blemishes on his record and his campaign was just bad here in Florida. So, and, and the, and the proof of that is that again, Daniela Levine Cava in Miami-Dade County, where, you know, they got, the, the Democrats got trounced one by like, what, like seven, eight points? Yeah, like, seven or eight points over a p- extremely partisan um, opponent who aligned himself with Trump. Yeah. He fucking routed Bobo. So like, you know, Luisa Santos, who ran really progressive in South Dade, yep. won, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like the candidate that started early, that had a good infra- organizing infrastructure, that had a clear and simple message, you know, like with their values, with, with, with a narrative, they won. And the candidates who didn't and who waffled and who stayed on the defensive, constantly trying to defend themselves and, and really didn't put a vision forward, they lost. <clears throat> Two congresswomen who, uh, criticized, who were very quick to criticize Bernie Sanders over the summer, they're gone now. And gone. yeah. And yeah, it's like, you know, like we, you know, working for United We Dream, we spend so much time, not only them, but just the Democrats in general, with a few exceptions like Cindy Polo, who was incredible, and others, trying to get them to talk about, you know, the Cubans that are in detention here, right? Like yeah. people come from the island for whatever reason, they, they you know, they, they surrender themselves, you know, uh, under the Cuban Adjustment Act. And these people spend months if not years in immigration detention at, at, at for-profit centers often 
and they are treated like crap, mm -hmm. you know, under COVID conditions. We're in touch with their family members. We were like, we will get, we got them videos from people in detention. We got, we got them testimony from their family members, Cubans, you know what I mean? Venezuelans. Obviously there's Haitians, there's people from all over the, 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 the world that are in these detention centers and we uplift all of their stories, but we, we did want them to highlight the hypocrisy of these Cuban American lawmakers who talk about like our people are, you know, coming, fleeing, you know, like these regimes, right. you know, come here for freedom. And it's like they come here for freedom and then they end up in these fucking detention centers for months and months, sometimes over over a year. You know what I mean? For what? They're like, what did they do? And just radio silence. I don't I just don't understand. Like, I'm telling you, we tried so hard to get them to uplift this and they did like two press calls about it and never touched it again. And it's like that, that, that kind of segues really well into the next thing I want to talk about, which is the Democrat state party, the Florida Democrats, uh, the problems we had a couple of weeks ago, um, Adam Christensen, who for listeners, Adam didn't end up winning, but he, he really outperformed. He did well up in district three. Uh, and we asked Adam who, um, you know, what kind of help are you getting from the Florida Democrat part, democratic party? And he said, who? very sarcastically, but he meant as in like they weren't, they, they, he hadn't heard anything from them. So I kind of want to set the table a little bit with this. This is a state that gets Florida that gets railed for being a red state, for being, you know, uh, you know, grossly weird and, you know, being Florida, right? Everybody shits all over Florida. It's, it's the literal thing to do. Right. But four years ago, Florida voted for medical marijuana. Two years ago, we voted to re-enfranchise uh, felons. Ye just the other day, we passed Amendment 2 to bump up the um, minimum wage from 10 uh, It'll be $10, and then over the course of a few years, it'll be $15. Still not anywhere near enough, but a, a great victory nonetheless. It feels like a lifetime ago, but Florida passed uh, back, I think, in 2013, uh, gay marriage, and then fought for it in court. Seven out of 10 Floridians according to an FAU poll in 2018, wants stricter gun control laws. This should be a fucking Democrat state. It's ridiculous that it's not a blue state. The conversations that we should ha be having and the arguments that we should be having are in between sort of corporate Democrat centrism and further left positions. That's the fights that we should be having in this state if you look at the numbers and for some reason, it's just not that, th that way. And you, myself, a lot of people in recent days have been Laying a lot of the blame, it can't all be laid there, but a lot of it can be can be laid at the foot of the state party, which I've said is the worst state party or one of the worst state parties of all, I would suppose, 100 plus throughout the country. Um, try to boil it down for us because you know this stuff way better than I do. What is the problem with organizational structure and the way things are set up in the Florida Democratic Party? Well, first of all, there is... Can close my Slack. <laughs> uh, things are popping, man. <laughs> things are popping, popping right now. Uh, the the there is no organizational structure. That's one. What there is instead is a money laundering operation uh, for to 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 get grifter consultants very rich. Mm -hmm. You have to you have to, you know like we have to start talking about these things like. Juan Peñalosa was a, a a a a consultant for Mercury Consulting, right? Like he he is part of this consultant class uh, that does work for developers, that does work for all these like you know like disgusting firms that like gentrify our our our, our neighborhoods. Um, and you know, in 2018, they they basically um handed off the field operation for the florida democrats to a to an entity called for our future mm -hmm. which is like a labor-backed pack that's run by ashley walker who and ashley walker is one of the uh heads of mercury consulting who and ashley walker got Juan Peñalosa in the position that he is now. Yeah, we should establish that now Juan is um, second in command of, of, he's basically second in command over at the Florida Democrats underneath um, exactly. Terry Rizzo. Yeah. So a consultant for Mercury that leads this pack put this guy that worked under her as executive director and then they get 
the money to run their field operation in 2018. And then what does Florida Democrats get out of it? Nothing. There's no lasting infrastructure. Right. So those are the sort of deals that are made within the party when, when, that, that lead me to talk about them as a money laundering operation, right? And at least if they won, then whatever, right? I mean, not whatever, but like, at least they could say that they won, you know, while enriching themselves and being corrupt. Right. They but could point, they could play the result at that point. Yeah, they can't, can't, even, they do can't that. even do that. And this cycle was just so shameful. Like these people are fucking crooks and we have to talk, we have to talk to uh, talk about them like crooks. I'm sure, I don't know if whoever's listening out there knows about this story, but it was pretty huge. These, the PPP program, the small business loans, you know, that were available to people through this pandemic, the Florida Democratic Party, not, not they, they, the press uses the word raided. They stole shameless, money shameless. from small businesses, over $800,000 for their electioneering purposes. They stole that money through shell companies they got caught for it and their own lawmakers like Jason Piso and Anna Skemani and JJR and all these people had to shame them. Yeah. And to giving it back. Money back. Yeah. And then they still kept like, I think like they tried to keep like $70,000 worth of it. Like these people are fucking crooks. And you look, this stuff is available. And I, I, I mean, I was an investigative reporter for a long time, but it doesn't take any kind of special skill to go find this stuff. I was looking yesterday at their 2019. I haven't seen 2020 yet because I can't wait to see what that looks like. But their $2.5 million in expenditures are public for 2019. And it's just consultant, 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 legal fee, legal fee, legal fee, consultant. And you can go down, you see $2.5 million merchant fees for, for credit card payments, uh, you know, reimbursements for travel. Which, I mean, yeah, that's a normal course of business. You do need to be reimbursed for travel. But if you know and you live down here in Miami um, and you see the lavish events that they hold and you see the galas and the balls and the, you know, to benefit this and to benefit that and you see where the actual money goes, the event planning and all this stuff, it's really, like you say, a money laundering operation that's geared towards sort of like maintaining this, I don't know, this image of, uh, of, 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 you know, gala culture, like going, being able to go out to, to, to balls and shit like that. And it's, it's infuriating because you also see, you see it more than me, but we both have worked with, with groups locally that have nothing and are going around and just knocking on doors and trying to start conversations and doing whatever they can with like these shoestring budgets and, but actually moving the fucking needle and making a lot of this stuff happen. Yeah. And, and, and just like, the way that they treated the $15 an hour campaign, doing the bare minimum, you know, Nikki Freed refusing to support it because of her corporate donors and the chamber. Like, it's, it's just disgusting. And it's because they're corporate donors and because they didn't think it was a popular issue, right? right. That shit passed with 60% of the vote. What's 15 times 40, right? Let's do the math. $15 times 40 is 600 right. times four. That's two thousand four hundred. So you'd be making two thousand four hundred dollars a month, making fifteen dollars an hour for forty hours. And these fucking scumbags that are stealing money from the PPP program and small businesses can't. You know what I mean? Can't even like get get behind that and make it a flagship issue of their messaging. Like they they just don't understand working people. They don't believe in helping working class people, and uh, they don't want to help working class people. And I'll say. They are just so beholden for their corporate to their corporate donors. With Dream Defenders, and when I was at Flick, we forced them to pass a binding resolution through their executive committee in 2018 via a proxy that was given to us, banning them from taking for-profit prison uh, uh, donations, for-profit prison company donations. And later on, but six months later, we found out that yeah. they were still taking those donations through private contracts. They reneged on it by like sneaky. Yeah, I remember that. That was a whole, yeah. Jer Jerry Ainelli, I think, reported on that for, in the New Times. You can still and find we that. Had, with the help of Anna Skemani and some other folks, we had to, again, shame them into giving that money back. And their whole thing is like, well, we need the money, you know, to run these races. Again, you know what they told their own organizers that were upset with them? Uh, because uh, for about the reason that they took that PPP loan, it's to make sure that you are all well compensated. <laughs> Fucking 
scumbags. Like the- <laughs> they stole money from small businesses through a pandemic to do electioneering, like illegal. And they're gaslighting their organizers. You know what I mean? My my contention is that like for us, a lot of this stuff seems like kind of inside baseball-y, but I think it's not. I really and you su- supported this with a tweet that you that you sent yesterday. Um this shit manifests in the real world. People feel it and they know it. And you posted um, a, a, a screenshot from Pew that showed this narrowing gap. But Democrats used to have a pretty robust advantage in registration oh, here in Florida. And, and like, and that's evaporated basically. It's gone at this point. Like it's the, the, the registration gap, like we are neck and neck now with Republicans. And, and, and I, I think about, you know, again, another friend of the show, Daniela Levinkava, who you know thankfully won, um, won her her race. Uh, I like to think she got the bird road bump, but uh, we'll have to wait for the um, exit polls to know if that's true. But what happened with Daniela? Daniela ran without what next to her name because it's a nonpartisan race. She didn't have it, the letter D next to her name, and yep. won. And also, it didn't hurt that her opponent's last name sounds like Bobo. And that's a whole other fucking thing with, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's become a toxic brand in Florida. I think that people are more, int- there are people in this, in this city, in Miami that are more interested in shitting on Democrats than anything that Donald Trump has to say. They, they, they're interested, they like Trump and they like any Republican who's willing to shit on Democrats, but the brand has become so out of touch and what it represents is so out of touch. And that's that's the calculation, you know, that you have to make as executive director, right, of a party. It's like, not only is it wrong to steal money from small businesses during a pandemic, but you have to think about it like, okay, so if I do this, is the is the cost benefit analysis in my favor? So if I get $800,000, which, you know, I've worked for large nonprofits, I've done fundraising, we, sounds like a lot of money, really not that much money, especially for a fucking political party in Florida. So you have to think about if I get caught, what is going to be the cost in terms of messaging, in terms of PR, in terms of staff time that I'm going to have to fucking dedicate to countering this? You know what I mean? What is the political capital that I'm going to have to spend if I get caught doing this? And the answer clearly is like, I'm going to get fucking caught because all reporters are looking at all that crap with a magnifying glass. And if you get caught, it's irreparable. irreparable mm-hmm. you can't repair that you you lose so many people and they, you don't think the republicans are going to spend insane amounts of money just hammering you with it it's right. just so stupid i'm sorry i know i'm getting like a no little, i i, I it's so upsetting <laughs> it's 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 you you're echoing the feelings of a lot of democrats and um people generally broadly on the left in throughout the state where I mean, I talk to people from outside and they're like, oh, wow, you're you're a socialist or you're a leftist in, in Florida. That must be lonely. And I'm like, yeah, you'd be surprised how many people, if you just ask them on an issue by issue basis, like what, how many people here in Miami, people in Florida, what do you agree with? Do you agree with this? Do you agree with, you know, a living wage? Obviously, people agree with it. They voted for you. Do you, do you agree uh, on, you know, universal health care, universal um, child care, universal education? It, like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But, you know, Joe Biden sucks. And it, like, or, or I would say the, the, the closest analog to Biden was two years ago, and it should have been a, um, a ripple or a warning sign, at least, when, um, when Bill Nelson lost, because that was the same kind of campaign. It was just this old white guy who didn't really pay attention, very famously didn't even, Bill Nelson didn't even launch a Spanish language website for his 2018 campaign. And meanwhile, Rick Scott, his one of the worst people walking on the face of the planet, is welcoming Puerto Ricans with with open arms, um, you know, following uh, Maria and doing all the right things to chip away. And he ended up winning by, I think, four votes or something like that. And uh, it's it's the same damn thing, man. It's it's. I think there's another element to it though, and I want to get your thoughts on it, like because. Latinos generally, and now the other thing is, uh, black people in Nor- the uh, black people and black voters in North Miami are getting blamed for Trump doing better amongst those cohorts, 
and people are saying like, oh wow, he 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 doubled his support in the black community. Oh wow, he you know he killed it in Miami with Latinos. Latinos are you know, uh, you know Miami Latinos or Miami Cubans are are um, you know. Uh, betraying us they're not they're not do this is like a real lib take like a northeastern liberal take that i've seen going around and i think people forget that incumbents usually do better like incumbents build support usually they don't usually lose it and at the end of the day joe biden's probably going to win by about six or seven million votes overall throughout the country and because of black voters in like areas like atlanta and philadelphia by the way yeah <laughs> so. exactly we had a i i i you know, I ask you to dare to dream with me, right? Like we had, I think people forget that that the effort that Stacey Abrams executed over the last couple of years in Georgia was supposed to be a two-pronged Florida-Georgia effort that was um, derailed, obviously, with a lot of the, you know, the, the, the avatar for that effort was Andrew Gillum, who had had to deal with his own personal problems, and it ended up not happening here, right? We It, it, it fell apart here. It didn't work. Um, but what if it did? Right. Like what if there was that grassroots effort that Stacey Abrams had pulled off in Georgia down here in Florida? And that's what's missing. Like, I mean, even Abrams is pretty corporatist and pretty centrist in terms of like what kind of political ideology she holds. But shit, man, she got people to vote at least like, OK, like we, you were saying before, if they were if they were winning, that would be one thing. If it was working, that would be one thing. If, you know, they were eking out a victory the way that Georgia is probably going to end up getting eked out. Sure, like, we'll, we'll have that fight later. But they can't even get the voters out. Yeah. And it's not even like, do you add insult to injury? It's not even like a, like a, like a good effort, right? Right. Like, right. At, at least, I will say this, at least Miami-Dade Democrats, like, they put in effort. Like, the Florida Democratic Party... They didn't even like run a good operation. And again, the the mistakes that were made were just so blatant. Like the leadership should have resigned when the PP, like either Terry, the chair, or Juan at the very least, like one of them should have been gone when that like PPP thing happened. It's just yeah. unacceptable. Accountability, yeah. <laughs> like, the, uh, the other thing that apparently is coming out, I guess was a struggle and maybe you had to bump up against it too in, in your work. Um, was the quality of their data and the hygiene of their lists was apparently trash. Oh, trash, trash. Yeah, I mean, that makes it so hard. Anybody who's ever gone door knocking or, or downloaded the van app or whatever, like, you know that when the data is bad in there, like, much love to the, to, to the, to the, uh, our friends in uh, Las Vegas DSA who hosted us when we were out there. And when we were out there, the data from the, I guess it came from the Nevada party, right? And it was good. It was solid. I knocked on the door. It was the people who, who I was expecting to talk to. They were the ones there in Florida. It's like, it's a, it's a real crapshoot. And who knows? Like the email addresses bounce. It's, there's no way to run an operation when it's the margin of error is so big, when you're going to be messing up so badly. Yeah. Like you're, you, you are potentially turning out the other side like you know what i mean like especially in florida like you might be texting or calling a voter that like it's like eh, you know i'm not i'm not really feeling either one of these and then you text a, a you know a, a trump leaning supporter you know with the democratic party messaging and you're they're like you know what i'm actually gonna go vote i don't want the democrats to win like yeah. you could be turning out the other side right it's just the, on election day i got no, or the I would say the two days prior to election day, I got uh, no no less than a hundred text messages from different organizations with no coherence. It wasn't like, hey, it's me again from whatchamacallit, you know, here's a second tier of our messaging. You know, here's the next level of our messaging. It was a hundred different people from a hundred different organizations just blasting, blasting their own, you know, can we count on you to vote for Joe? And I don't know. I don't know how effective that is. I know texting is way less costly than mail mailers, which are, I, I don't know why people are still doing mailers. I, maybe there's something I don't know that they, that, but also looking down the, all of those um, expenditures that the democratic party pays a whole lot of money spent on, on mailing and, and physical mail and things like that, which I know, you know, the conventional wisdom is that old folks look at the mailers, but fuck man, old folks are on Facebook. Now Facebook is all old folks. 
yeah i don't i don't believe in mailers never have never will i think they're like extremely outdated um yeah it's all it's like all about digital and that goes back to like that misinformation piece we were talking about earlier like that's you know like that's where people are at like especially boomers and older folks they're on facebook and they're constantly i went to like this um conference uh like like a year ago where they talked about like digital misinformation and they talked about like all these like right-wing facebook groups and facebook pages and and like you know like media outlets and independent media outlets that are out there and just the way that they're all connected in a network and they like basically bounce information and replicate it and sort of like trick the facebook algorithm to like yeah. block it yeah. people with, with you know these like stories what some of them it could be like the democrats um you know getting the ppp loan or it could be i don't know some like QAnon conspiracy but they just blanket people with this information and at some point it, it's like it's like joseph gobel said right you say a true a lie long enough it becomes, it becomes the truth true. people start and you have the president discrediting like corporate media and all that stuff you know uh, and corporate media discredits itself also people start, <laughs> they don't need help <laughs> yeah lines start getting blurred real quick so I want to fi- I want to let you go, but I want to get a couple just sort of quick reactions to you on a few other races that shook out here in Miami Dade that maybe didn't get as much coverage. Um, one thing that struck out that stuck out to me: Congressional District Twenty Three, mainstay, uh, old uh, friend of the show, uh, but sarcastically, uh, not actually. Debbie Wasserman Schultz barely eking out a win, just a few hundred votes from her Republican challenger. Uh, that that struck me because I don't remember her really getting a great, uh, a great challenge in recent memory in, in any general elections, but I don't know. Did, did you notice that? What'd you think? Uh, David Wasserman Schultz specifically. Yeah. Like just that, I mean, that's a, the closest race I've seen her participate, her, her, her participate in like, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. That just seems like one of those like ghouls that will always be there and, you know, has always been there and is not going anywhere. But to see her only win by, I think I'm doing quick math here. It's like 320 votes, 322 votes. That's, um, that's an arrow for a former, uh, leader of the democratic of the, of the DNC. Again, it just goes back to the brand, the brand's damaged and they, uh, I think you know them. I haven't I haven't really looked at the race too hard, but I think her margins were probably poor in Dade and in Weston with the Venezuelans. And yeah, yeah, she Demo- Democrats better shape up, man. Here because yeah. they're like uh, they've they've been in the mind. You know, it's been a Republican trifecta for a long time, and they've been in the minority for a while. But if they don't, they don't shape up. Bye bye forever. <laughs> we had um, talked recently about. Uh, with another guest about Luisa Santos and uh, she won. So the, a progressive, you know, running for the Miami-Dade school board. And I know that you have worked, done some work with her. She beat sort of a, a one of the family names down here in Miami or one of the more well-known brand names, Dennis Moss. Um, talk about that if you can, about, you know, that's j- just a, you know, a few seconds or a little bit of commentary on, on Luisa. And, yeah. You know, I mean, schools are really important right now. The school board is probably one of the most important places to have progressives in this moment with the pandemic. Uh, the the flux and the politics of what's happening behind the scenes there is, as a parent of a public school kid, like I can tell you, it's it's madness. And it was really good news to hear that she's um, that she's going to be taking that seat. Yeah, I mean, so I've known Luisa Santos for a long time. Uh, she was a, a immigrant rights uh, activist. Uh, with student working for equal rights. She was formerly undocumented. She's a progressive. And uh, yeah, she ran for school board. We, uh, as United We Dream, we endorsed her in the primary. She ran against Nancy Lothar, who's a good person, but we just, you know, we liked Lisa better. We like her perspective as a young, uh, formerly undocumented immigrant. Um, and Dennis Moss. And she advanced through the primary. After the pri- primary, she managed to get the endorsement of the Miami-Dade Democrats um and other progressive organizations and we built a coalition that managed to defeat this uh anti-immigrant county commissioner dennis moss who's you know in the pocket of developers he's also uh extremely pay for play he voted for immigration detainers uh you know along with yeah. donald trump and it was a tough race it was a tough race because the teachers union united teachers of Dade, was actually endorsing moss uh they actually lost almost all of the racists yeah. <laughs> the teachers union is just a mess but 
you know, and they actually, you know, I'll just say they, they called me and tried to get me to retract uh, the endorsement on, on Luisa. So um, it's fine. It's in the past, but they really need to, um, yeah, like reassess and reevaluate their priorities uh, because that was frankly uh, shameful. They tried to smear her saying that she was in the pocket of charter schools and all these lies about her like political contributions. She opened her political contributions and her finances. There was nothing there. Uh, it was, it was a, tough um and somewhat eye-opening race uh to just you know like how transactional some people in miami politics can be very much yeah but again you know like the school board i think was was a bright spot for miami dade we had luisa who's incredible she's gonna be like such a i was formerly undocumented so just having someone that was formerly undocumented there with that perspective is so needed in the school board. And then on the north, we have Luisa, uh, Lucia Baez-Geller, who also won her race. And she also very progressive, really good person. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you know, it, this, the school board in Miami-Dade is, is, is looking, looking better. Good. Not a moment too soon. And the last race, I want you to just uh, weigh in on it. It's not in Miami. It's a little further north. Unfortunately, the, um, uh, the social media darling investigative journalist, Laura Loomer, did not win her congressional district. Do you know Laura Loomer? Are you very familiar with her or not at all? That, that psychopath that um, gets changed herself to things. Yeah, changed herself to Twitter. And I think now she, she'll probably chain herself to Congress, right? And say that she was unfairly banned from being a congressperson. Chain, chain yourself to Trump and go the fuck away. <laughs> all right. So I want to thank my guest. Um, Thomas, where can people find out more about you? Um. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at, at T-O-M-A-S-K-E-N-N, Thomas Ken. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter and follow my un unhinged rage posts about the Florida Democratic Party. <laughs> Thomas Kennedy, thanks for coming on Bird Road. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun.